Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey y'all, welcome back to a Thursday, June 22nd, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Woo, what a week, what a week thus far. Um, big show today, we got uh, Fangraphs John Taylor talking all things Major League Baseball as he does at this time each and every week. Always great to do take graphs with John where we talked about uh, the Yankees and why John is worried about their playoff chances and just the injury bug, they're starting pitching to this point um it's it's a rocky time and with the Orioles being as good as they've been Blue Jays heating up Red Sox on a little bit of a heater here and obviously the Rays uh really good shape uh for where they stand atop the ALE so um talk about that talk about another big call up for the Pirates Henry Davis um Brian Hayes we talk about uh, his development the Rays the or excuse me the Reds the first place Cincinnati Reds in the NL Central uh, a lot of fun there, what they're going to do as buyers this summer and why that's exciting. Derek Jeter joining the broadcast team and what he'll be like as a Major League Baseball analyst um, going forward. The Red Sox win streak. The Giants uh, now ahead of the Dodgers in the standings as of today. So how crazy is that? Who would have had that as we near July here in the Major League Baseball season? So all that and more coming up on the Major League Baseball show here on Chase Thomas Podcast. Also got Jason Shear of Wildcat Authority to talk all things Arizona football, Jed Fish, how the rebuild is going, heading into year three in Tucson, uh, most important new faces, Justin Flo being a big one from Oregon, Jane Delora, where he fits um, in terms of just the quarterback hierarchy in uh, the Pac-12, because it is the uh, quarterback U uh, across the board um, in the conference, just elite quarterback play up and down that conference right now and where Delora fits um in that uh in that realm uh so that was fun talking about that biggest uh jetfish hire why the defensive coordinator spot's gonna be interesting heading into this year with how bad the defense was last year where Arizona is on NIL football and then the impact of Kenny Dillingham um arriving at Arizona State and how those two will compete for recruits and the portal and all that good stuff so all that and more coming up on the Thursday edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Fun, fun show, uh, by and large, all all across the board. So, as always, folks, you want to get involved with the, sh- the show. There's a lot of different ways that you can do so. You can email us, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, tw- 
<clears throat> I ate some peanuts before I got started here, which was dumb. Um, so, um, uh, you can, you can hit us up on YouTube, youtube.com slash chase Thomas podcast, like, and subscribe, all that good stuff. We're well over a thousand subs, full episodes, shorts, clips, all that good stuff over on the YouTube page. You can also check out the website, chase Thomas podcast.com. Um, new website coming very soon. So happy to kind of get that out there because it's a long time coming and it's, it's going to be awesome. So very, very excited about what that's turned into. You can also read me and be a part of the newsletter team over on Substack, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type your email. That easy. That simple. Um, but yeah, there you go. Um, a lot of different ways you can interact with the show, become a fan of the show, support us, Apple Pod, Spotify. If you are a subscriber, first time listener, and you like what you hear today, easiest way to support the show and the easiest way for this show to get bigger and bigger each and every day is by you taking the time right now uh leave this show a five-star rating and write a review uh why you like the show why you think other people uh would like the show and all that good stuff so there you go that's all i've got to kick things off here on the thursday june 22nd 2023 edition here on the chase thomas podcast so without further ado uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. We are about 24 hours removed from the Vols getting eliminated last night in the College World Series. They finished fifth. Overall, John Taylor up there in fan, up there in Fangraphs, up there in New York City. That's right, John. Did you watch any of the the Vols going out to the uh, Tigers last night? Until you said that they had been eliminated, I had no clue mm. what was going. Uh, the only thing I know about the College World Series that I paid any amount of attention to is the ongoing uh, Jello shot race <laughs> at what is that bar in Omaha called that does this? I don't know, but I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, which LSU isn't just <laughs> beating the field. They are lapping the field. Like, mm-hmm. they have, I think, more, They've their fans have done more jello shots than all the other fan bases in Omaha combined. And yeah. to me, I don't care who wins the College World Series. You know, that, that, that carries no importance to me. Um, but I do care who... I do care to see if LSU can break 30,000 jello shots before this thing is up. I think they can do it. I think so, too. They were at 20-some thousand already as of, like, the end of the weekend. And they're still they're still there, right? They, they've moved they on. They are still there, at least for one more one more day. They have to beat Wake Forest twice to get into the College World Series. So they're in the Final Four. Okay. Uh, but they have to beat Wake Forest back-to-back um, okay. to get in, which I don't think they'll do. Ooh, um, spicy. But we'll see. I mean, Wake Forest is the best team college baseball this year so um oh, okay i uh good, maybe good f- good for wake forest for finally being good at something anything <laughs> anything at all it's a small school i think it's the smallest uh, power five school i think it might be the smallest school in fbs oh wow all right, like well. wake super super small There's go deeks well, go deeks um let me see wake forest student enrollment i'm pretty sure it's something bonkers yeah eight thousand that's that's a that's not that many kids. No, no, it's a it's a small group that, and it's hard to recruit when you only have eight thousand students. Uh, it's not a big, not a big base there, John Taylor. Yeah. Um, well, 
John. Yep. It's Take Graphs here on a Wednesday evening, Thursday morning for the good folks listening on their morning commute. Thank you. Um, what is your Take Graphs take of the week, sir? What is it this week? I think the Yankees are in real trouble. Oh, here we go. I, they no no. This is not a this is not a gloating thing because I've I've learned my <laughs> lesson about that one when it comes to this team in particular. I'm, I'm not doing that. But mm-hmm. and I, I think I've said something to this effect before. The last time Aaron Judge went on the injured list, when he briefly hurt his wrist or shoulder or something along those lines, mm. the Yankees' offense more or less stopped functioning. Uh, he came back. Things were better. He has now gone back on the injured list. Two he went back on the injured list two weeks ago. Uh, with a toe injury that it will probably keep him out another month is what the Yankees are saying. In that span of time, since Aaron Judge went on the injured list, the Yankees have the single worst offense in the entirety of baseball. But to be fair, have you seen some of the lineups they've been trotting and out? Th- and that's the thing, like, and with good reason. Like, uh, just to give you the numbers, uh, made since... up names, John. There was a weekend, like, I, oh, last weekend, maybe what it was, like, just real made up names, like, just unbelievable that it was the Yankees and not just like some, the Cleveland Guardians in July. Some Rays bullpen ass yes. stuff. Yeah. Well, let me let me just give you the numbers behind it. Since Aaron Judge went on the injured list on June seventh, mm. the Yankees have the lowest WRC plus in the majors at seventy one, tied with the Nationals. They have the lowest weighted on base average in the majors at two seventy two. Mm. They have the lowest on base percentage in the majors at 260. They have the lowest, uh, sorry, the sixth lowest slugging percentage in the majors at 366. Hmm. They have the uh, it, the second lowest walk rate at fi- just shy of five percent. Like it, it goes on like this. Like this is this is a whole team. This isn't just like you know uh, one guy down and everybody. This is the whole team is not functioning. And like you said, when you look at the lineup, I mean, here are the, here are the numbers. Willie Calhoun get bat and lead off for weeks at a time. It's just Willie, like... Willie Calhoun has been one of the sole good things the Yankees have had going for them in the last two weeks. And he, funnily enough, hasn't drawn a single walk in those two weeks. Uh, it's That's actually amazing. Kind of amazing but... 145 at-bats at this point. Oswaldo Cabrera has been horrific. Got sent down. But the yeah. only four Yankees players with a WRC plus above 100, which is basically league average, in the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Kyle Higashioka in 16 plate appearances. Uh, Glaber Torres. Billy McKinney, former Yankee, former A, former Cub, former a lot of things. Once mm. upon a time, a top prospect now. Feels a like a next outfielder. president from 1894. I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, and Willie Calhoun. Here are some other mm. uh, numbers. Just so you know, Oswaldo Cabrera, before he, he got demoted to AAA, had a WRC plus of negative 67 over the last two mm. weeks. Giancarlo Stanton's WRC plus over the last two weeks. Three. The number three, as in one, two, three. That's it. He has a 33% strikeout rate, or sorry, a 33% strikeout rate in the last two weeks. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, 35. Josh Donaldson, 40. Anthony Volpe, 46. DJ LeMayhew, 46. Uh, It just goes, and like... LeMayhew being awful is a huge problem for them. Well, they're... It's one this, thing when Josh Donaldson, 37-year-old's bad, but, like, LeMayhew being bad is quite bad. And also, Harrison Bader being gone, who was another important cog. Who's back? Him, Didn't he just get activated today? Uh, he, I mean, he's been... Uh, yeah, the, th- uh, well, the, the issue with Harrison Bader, regardless, is you can't really count on him for consistent health going forward. Yeah. But, like you said, and, and this is the important thing, like, 
guys like LeMahieu, Stanton, um, Rizzo's been good for the on the season as a whole, but not lately. Uh, they can't afford those guys being bad because, again, th- there's not really much depth for this team to work with, in particular when you already have, you know, it's not as if they can bench Josh Donaldson for someone else. That's pretty mm-hmm. much it at third base. Similarly with Jose Trevino behind the plate, you know, that's pretty much it. They can start Kyle Higashioka more, but that's, I don't think, really going to get the Yankees what they want in particular. You know, you don't really have alternatives to Billy McKinney and Willie Calhoun and Jake Bowers in the lineup right now. And granted, McKinney and Calhoun are both hitting well, but both of them are doing it without any semblance of plate patience. I don't know how long you can realistically expect that to last. Like, Willie Calhoun's not going to have a 350 isolated power for the rest of the season. You know, that that's obviously not going to be the case. You know, a lot of what the Yankees need right now is it's not just judge to come back and be judge, although we've already seen just how huge a difference he makes just being there and being healthy. It's it's Stanton doing better. It's Donaldson finding some semblance of his old self. It's Volpe finding his pedigree. It's Rizzo staying consistent. It's LeMahieu taking uh, finding a, a gear again. That's just not happening for the most part. And with a lot of these guys, it almost doesn't feel like what is the, you know, where is the optimism that things are going to get better? Like you said, Josh Donaldson's 37 years old. DJ LeMahieu is, is in his 30s and is striking out all the time now. Giancarlo Stanton, uh, for as good as he's been in the past and for all the, the the promise he has, is now 33 years old. He'll be 34 in November and just can't stay healthy. It just does not seem to be something he has like uh, in, in a capacity or he has that capacity. Mm. You know, Similarly, Anthony Rizzo, again, has been good this year. 30, also someone who's going to turn 34 this year. It, there's just a lot of real and a lot of real big question marks. And again, they've they've already kind of gone through the prospects that you would think would be able to help them at this point. Volpe is already up. Oswaldo Carrera already came up and has since been sent down. Uh, Oswald Peraza has already come up and already been sent down. You know, there there are not there's not really much, if anything, in the way of hitting prospects left in the minors unless the Yankees want to get really, really aggressive with Jason Dominguez, which maybe I I, I could see it if things continue to be particularly bad uh, in the outfield corners, you know, so long as either Judge is out or uh, they continue to get suboptimal production from the likes of Jake Bowers or if Willie Calhoun and Billy McKinney take a turn. But they're just, for whatever reason, this lineup just didn't receive all that much attention in the offseason. With the exception of, you know, adding some pieces around the edges like Calhoun or like, uh, well, that's really about it, Franchi Cordero. I guess that's the thing. The Yankees didn't really do much of anything offensively except for bring back Aaron Judge. Mm. And we said at the time, and it's still the case, you know, it was the right decision to bring back Judge. He is far and away the best player on this team. They would be an absolute hell without him. And the other half of that is the Yankees spent their free agent capital this offseason, not just on Judge, but also on Carlos Rodon, who has yet to throw an inning this season, looking like he's making his way back. And that'll obviously be, uh, that'll obviously help to some degree. But again, this lineup is bad. It is Mm -hmm. a bad lineup, even when you put Judge back in there. And he can only do so much by himself, as we saw uh, toward the end of last season when he hit a bit of a skid and the Yankees almost, the Yankees came very, very close to blowing their playoff spot in the process. So... And this is not a Yankees team that can really afford to fall too far back in this chase because, you know, already the Rays have pretty much, have, have pretty much, um, I don't want to say locked up the division because, you know, we're not even in July yet, but, you know, they're 10 games up on New York already. They're five games up on the second place Orioles. You know, they have the division in pretty good shape. 
And you actually have a real AL wild card race this year, you know, mm. between the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Astros, the Angels. Um, you know, if one of the Guardians can, if the Guardians can get hot, the Red Sox, who have been hot of of late and are still part of that chase, um, there are a lot of teams in between the Yankees and the playoffs right now. And granted, the Yankees, I believe, are no, they're a half game I think behind the Astros and Angels. Or sorry, they're. The Blue Jays are a half game behind the Astros and Angels for a postseason spot. The Yankees are another, I believe, game behind them. Hmm. You know, this is this is not a, an impossible place to be, but again, this is not a Yankees team that looks like it's just going to turn itself on and slug its way to the postseason. This is not really a lineup that's capable of producing with that kind of power. So consider me officially worried about the Yankees, uh, particularly, again, they've already said Judge is not coming back till probably the end of July at this point. That's another month to try to gut it out with a really, really bad lineup doing all your work for you. Yeah, but it's just, isn't it weird? Like, I'm still probably between the two, uh, the Mets and the Yankees. I'm far, for whatever reason, I just, until I see it with the Yankees, I just think they're going to get a wild card spot. Until they don't, they're going to use some kind of magic. I don't, re- this is one of the more you have to squint this year a lot more than you have in years past for the Yankees to get through. But like, I just, for whatever reason, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't write them off. It doesn't matter. The Blue Jays are right there. The Orioles are having a great year. Um, it just, I can't do it. I, I feel like they're still going to be right there and they're going to get the twins in round one and they're going to win. And then <laughs> they're just going to somehow find their way into the ALCS. And we're like, I don't understand how they keep getting away with it. And they'll, they, and that's the thing. The Yankees is always gonna, and like, yeah, of the two New York teams, I'm more worried about the Mets in part because they just do not have any pitching. Apparently yeah. it, it turns out putting all of your pitching hopes on two dudes who are basically 40 years old, ultimately not the best decision. In I think the Sarah Langs of LB.com, uh, pointed this out like some kind of crazy stat because like, this was unprecedented with Carrasco with Verlander with Scherzer and company uh, with the Mets that like it whatever I think if I remember correctly when she was on with Buster a few months ago previewing the season with this group it was like so unprecedented like I think it never it didn't work the last time we saw something close that mm-hmm. it, there were some really bad injuries but like I feel like the returns were never good I, I, I don't want to I forgot what it was but it was one of those early omens where like you go back to the archives and there's a reason maybe that no one has ever done this to uh put together an entire just old old uh starting rotation because it's just incredibly risky like if they're all healthy yeah it's great but the odds or not the or odds not are not there. the odds are not great and no. that's i mean you're seeing that with the mets now they lost a, a wild game at the astros today but uh, again it's for me where where the yankees are in particular given how bad their offense is at the moment you know it it it, it does you're concern this, you going John. forward look, i mean look i'm not the gonna red pretend. sox on a win streak the yankees can't get look, healthy I, i'm not gonna sit here and pretend that if the yankees miss the playoffs i won't be here cackling like an absolute <laughs> moron mm-hmm. however there is no however there i will be cackling like an absolute yeah. moron but i also know enough at this point to know that um I, I, you can't trust it like you said they, they always they always figure out a way somehow some way and i for I think one, they figure out a way to make I'm the not, playoffs i'm not going to dance on their grave yet but know? they're not winning the world series i don't think this is a world series caliber team i don't know how they get there with this group like i just yeah i i am not sure either but and, that, and i guess that's the thing like i don't really see 
it's gonna take it's gonna take pitching. In other words, if this Yankees team goes forward, it's gonna be because they ride a combination of Cole, Rodon, and whoever can kind of step up for that third spot. And we haven't and we haven't even talked about the pitching issues they've had with Luis Severino looking very bad, with Nestor Cortez, Cortez being on the injured list, with Domingo Herman being kind of up and down, although he's been mostly good uh, for the most part. It's you know it, it's gonna have to be on the pitching, the bullpen, and Aaron Judge. You know, hmm. Judge is so clearly the most important thing, the most important piece of this team, you know, that, and that's the other thing, is is if, you know, if, if the Yankees lose Judge for even a more extended period of time, then they are, they are really, really in serious trouble. For as, as it is right now, they're doing, you know, I think it's survivable, but they're, they're in a bad place right now, ultimately. I agree. Um, in a better place. Hank Davis called up to the Pittsburgh Pirates, John Taylor. Yes. I like how you're calling him Hank. I'm calling him Hank. Let's As someone it. who... Let's, bring, let's make it real 50s. Well, I mean, look. Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron. He's going to... If if Henry Davis... Hammer and, Hammer and Hank Davis. I'm telling you, if Henry Davis ends up being great, he will become Hank. Like, he will become Hank Davis. That'd be, that would be really funny. It'd be, especially be funny if then there's a counter movement to be like, oh, there can only be one Hank. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that—that's it. There will be no more than one good Hank. Because who's the other good Hank in Major League Baseball? Is, is there another one aside from Hank Aaron? How many? How many famous Hank? Like, I guess you know. Hank, okay, Hank Greenberg—that was a really obvious one. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hank Hank Blaylock, mm. Hank Conger, <laughs> Hank Bauer. You know, there there have been some Hanks, but it's been a while. Like aside from Hank Blaylock and Hank Conger. We have not really had a good Hank in Major League Baseball in a bit. And as someone whose legal name is Henry, um, all my friends, the only people who would ever call me Hank were close friends of mine growing up who knew I hated Henry and knew I hated mm-hmm. Hank more. Oh, so they would okay. call me Hank because they were just like, he can't stand it. Like, So he, what you're saying is this should be the Hank Thomas podcast. <sighs> they, but they, We've if been you together by, for several years now, John. I'm going to let it slide for if now. If you go by Hank, then you can be Hank the Tank. It's right there for you. I could Same. be Hank the Tank. Um, well, John, we can combine this with Hank Davis. And he's called up. Um, exciting times for the Pirates. They needed a jolt after a really rough June. It's, um, been a rough, it's been a rough summer for them so far. Yes. That being said, he's called up. And then there's a really good piece by, I think, Davey. Uh, is it Davey Andrews? F. Yes. Graf? Davey Andrews. Um, another name where I'm like, this feels like a Red Sox AAA player. Uh, <laughs> Davey Andrews. I, it just doesn't sound right. But... Uh, really good piece on um, Brian Hayes, who uh, has all the makings of a star. It's just like getting the launch angle up and stop hitting the ball on the ground uh, all the time. Stop it. Stop just, it now. <laughs> just stop. Stop and it. He's doing a little bit better at it. So what have you seen um, from Davis thus far and why are you excited? Pirate fans should be excited. And then uh, the piece on Brian Hayes and why he may be turning the corner a little bit here. So, with regards to Davis in particular, anytime you can call up a guy who theoretically at least could be the catcher of the future, you should be excited. Although, mm. for what it's worth, I don't ultimately think that's going to be the case for Davis because, mm. I mean, the, the the scouting is just not particularly, like, it, it doesn't like his defense, you know. This isn't, and, and I guess I probably should have started with this, this isn't Adley Rutschman 2.0, you know. Mm. This isn't another franchise catcher coming up, despite the fact that Davis was... Uh, you know, a number one pick 
out of a you know out of a good college program in Louisville. Mm. Um, you know, with some like with some very good grades on his on his tools, but defense is not one of them. And our Pittsburgh Pirates top prospect list that came out back in February, uh, Eric Longenhagen threw a 30 present value grade and a 40 future value grade on Davis's fielding. That's below average. You know, you're you're not gonna get a particularly good catcher. Although there, I think there are two reasons that Pirates fans shouldn't really worry too much about this. First, it is that Davis is a fantastic hitter. You yeah, know, you, you look at the tool grades there, 45 future value on his hit, 70 on his raw power, 60 on his game power. You know, that's an impact bat uh, if he gets the time and, you know, can establish himself as a big leaguer. The other reason is the better catching prospect in Pittsburgh system, Andy Rodriguez, who grades mm-hmm. out as one of the best defending catchers uh, in the minors right now. And a guy who I imagine at 23 years old will probably be up um maybe i'm guessing probably next year i can't imagine there's necessarily that much of a push for pittsburgh i think what the idea is with the pirates is you know their current right fielder he can just be the long-term right fielder or i i guess the idea even with davis is their current catching tandem is jason delay and austin hedges Mm. neither of those guys are the future in any sense of the word you know this gives you some time to throw davis back there if you want see how he plays see you know see if he can handle essentially a major league catching position although it's worth noting the two games he's played so far um i don't know if he played today but uh, just the two games i have here on his box score he was the right fielder in his mlb debut he was the dh after that and that works too because pittsburgh's not really getting much of anything if anything out of its outfield corners or its dh spot he was dh know. again today in the loss to chicago okay so yeah. two starts at dh one start at right field it's then it's pretty clear pittsburgh has no real interest in trying him out at catcher right now they just want him up to be which a big might be guy. okay like you said and i and i think that's fine you know if he can solidify himself as a decent or at least you know yeah at least a decent uh corner outfielder i mean the the current you know who is he displacing connor joe uh rodolfo castro cal mitchell like they're excuse me there aren't really guys there that he's pushing out of the way that you have to worry about and then and that goes as that goes as far as the future too you know there mm-hmm. aren't really there's not a big time corner outfielder of the future uh still trying to make their way uh to the majors at this point for the pirates you know they they tried kane and smith and jiba for a bit and it didn't work out uh travis swaggerty i don't know if he's going to get necessarily another shot you know you have to get down into in terms of finding kind of outfielders of the future, theoretically, for 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 Pittsburgh, you're mm. going down into, like, low A? Like, low, low A? I mean, lowest of low A? He's not blocking anyone, is the point. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, you might as well see, okay, can we get something long-term out of him if the bat is good and add some offense? Mm. Because, you know... This offense, is, for as much as it's struggled of late, is not a bad one between Brian Reynolds... Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, although certainly not a piece of the future, or at least let's just we'll focus on on pieces for the future between Brian Reynolds, Jack Sawinski, Cabrian Hayes, Davis, uh, you know, eventually Eddie Rodriguez, eventually further, much further on down the line, guys like Leover Piguero, or or Tamar, much much further down the line, Tamar Johnson. You know, there there is the core of a potentially good offense there. I think it makes sense to see, though, to bring Davis up now, see, can we get anything from him as a DH, as a corner outfielder if need be? And if not, try to start focusing on, okay, 
what can we do in the trade market maybe to address that if need be because the pirates mm-hmm. are still in this race in the NL in the NL central like yeah. no one is with the exception of really i think this at this point the cardinals are pretty well out of it but mm. you know the pirates still have you know they're they're 5 games behind cincinnati now for first place that's not the end of the world i mean our playoff odds no longer like them at all. We have the Pirates with a 5% chance of making the playoffs. That is the lowest of any National League team that isn't at zero already, a.k.a. the Nationals and the Rockies. So the third lowest playoff odds in the National League right now. But I think if any, then I think if anything, if the, if the, you know, the Pirates can go two ways. They can see where July takes them with Davis mm-hmm. in the lineup and be, okay, if we can keep afloat, maybe there's some room there to add a bat anyway. And if things keep falling apart, well, then the rest of this year essentially becomes a tryout for Davis to see if he can be a regular presence in that lineup going forward next year and the year after that. So um, I think Pirates fans should be most, I, I think they should be optimistic at least. If the, if hmm. nothing else, you know, they're starting to see what the future of this team looks like. You know, they had that nice run in April. It doesn't look like it's going to turn into a, a longer full season run. But, you know, the important thing now is, okay, who's going to help? going forward in the future and i think you know getting davis up now letting him see what he can do against major league pitching i think is a is a big step toward that yeah and i it's still a time if you're a pirates fan this is exciting and you're getting more guys mm-hmm. that i think are going to pan out at least to some extent right and then you're actually getting really good I, i'm just looking at this lineup but i'm like this is kind of like you see this line of developing if they spend a little bit this off season, which i know it's asking know, a lot from I this know. group but, like, if they do, you can see, like, the NL Central is winnable, and you look at this lineup, it's one of the better lineups, I think, in the NL. And it's one of the more upside uh, lineups in the NL across the board. Like, Brian Reynolds and company, you look at this, if he's part of the field. Like, Andrew McCutcheon is just, I think, going to be solid until the end of time. So Yeah, that that's very much the sense I get. I mean, I, I'd like to think some of this, too, is just the 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 balance of being back with the pirates and just kind of i just think he's gonna be solid man that guy's just a pro's pro who just knows how to hit enough like he's Mm -hmm. just gonna be solid enough um connor joe has been good for them um we'll see if that continues on jack sawinski has been good i don't know you just look at it and you're like hey i mean there's some stuff here mitch keller might be a really good long-term option um they're like i don't know i guess i'm still kind of hedging on the pirates getting through this i'm it's it's just funny because like they're just you could see how it go the other way like right when you look at the al central versus the nl central mm-hmm. it's kind of funny if you look at that dichotomy where like the reds and the pirates rebuild it's kind of looking pretty solid it looks like they might actually see the light at the end of the tunnel for those two teams mm-hmm. and then you can see the other side in the al central where it's like the tigers and the royals are on the opposite end where it's like are we gonna have to trade spencer torkelson um who we took number one overall in 2020 already because like we just can't get over this hump we can't get i mean out if, of the- if the tiger and granted look uh, torkelson has not been anything special so far yeah. but if the tigers trade torkelson that's a at what point I mean, you would just that kinda... surprise you if they did that this summer though <clears throat> only in the sense that i don't know that they get better by doing that because i yeah. cannot imagine them getting the kind of return that would actively make them better in it's like sense. you have to take javier Baez if you take him it's like pretty uh, much and, th- and i think that's kind of the thing if torkelson were to get moved it'd have to be something like yeah stapled to like javier Baez, yeah or with Baez stapled to him rather we should also mention o'neill cruz another another fun long and yeah that that's a that's a good point is that next year this team will have hopefully a healthy o'neill cruz yep. and that'll obviously be a really big part of that lineup too so yeah Pirates fans, kind of optimistic about you. Well, there are reasons to be optimistic if you are a Pirates fan. Absolutely. And 
even better. The Cardinals are dead. Um, they John. Did. Yes. Joey Votto is back, and he's Yay. delightful. And the Reds are in first place. They're surging. Big win streak for them. I mean, all the reporting uh, over the next couple weeks has been they're going to be buyers at the deadline. Which and, I, which is crazy to me. Not in, a, not in like a, oh, they shouldn't do that. But like, I did not think we were going to get a Reds team that cared. You know? Right? And then That's you wild. have like, you look at the NL Central, like the Cubs are on a little bit of a weird little hot streak, but they're, we don't believe that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. Pirates, just not not enough juice. The Brewers, <laughs> we'll see if they hold on to Corbin Burns for the full summer. I have I'm, my doubts. I'm really, I'm really wondering that now, given that the Brewers had a are no June. longer. For, it's, it's been a bad June for them. I am really, really curious to see what comes next with them because, I mean, the, the room is there now if they slip further and further out of first. To, to make that move and I'm, I'm curious to see you know if we start hearing more chatter about burns i mean you look at this group what i mean where could they upgrade if they look at like i think this is sustainable i think they're gonna be a team that goes for it and that ha- like the fangrass playoff odds are 40 and 35 right now 20 percent chance but mm-hmm. like okay that's not great but the brewers at 47 you don't feel great about that the cubs at 21 like you look around i just think you last a little bit longer i think those playoff odds will continue to shift a little bit and just getting more and more comfortable that the reds are for real but also this is why you're buyers to to kind of shake those playoff odds uh later on this summer but yeah i think there's enough reason we're like it just kind of reminds me where they're at reminds me of where the orioles were last year mm-hmm. where they were like oh we were i mean we were hoping that things would go well in this rebuild and that some guys would start hitting and popping a little bit but yeah i mean this wasn't the plan and then they didn't really do anything they were kind of sneaky sellers where they're like we're still confident we'll be able to just pick up where we left off going Mm -hmm. into next year and the orioles have like to their credit the orioles have been really good and have picked up right where they left off and didn't have a setback and didn't blow it by not going more in last year but Mm -hmm. i'm very curious what buyers looks like for the reds and where they could where they can go and what kind of young players they're willing to sacrifice to become more buyers i'm just i'm very curious what do you think cincinnati reds 2023 buyers looks like for them this summer so i think if you are the reds and you do decide to buy and try to make the most because again like the the central is very much up for very much up for grabs very much mm-hmm. open you know like you said the we we have the reds with only about a 20 percent chance to make the playoffs but projected to finish at 79 wins we have the brewers projected to win the division mm-hmm. at 82 wins you know that gap is nothing and you know going the what, what helps i think is that for cincinnati is the rest of the central is about as weak, all facing roughly the same schedule. No one has a, any real advantage there. So if you're Cincinnati and you do really want to press this, I think there are a few places you can look. First and foremost, I think the obvious one is the rotation. Hmm. Uh, some of that is, you know, they just have a lot of pitcher injuries right now, in particular Hunter Green, uh, Nick Lodolo, and he's been terrible, but Graham Ashcraft, three guys I think they were counting on. Uh, for a lot of rotation help, who for the most part, I mean, Lodolo and uh, Lodolo's been hurt most of the year. Ashcraft's been very bad. Green just went on the injured list. You know that that's a that's a bad group right now. Uh, Andrew Abbott, Luke Weaver, Brandon Williamson, Ben Lively, and fifth starter TBD. You know, I think that is definitely somewhere where the Reds would probably, I think, make the most sense for them to target. In particular, given that their lineup is very full right now, mm. to the point where you know, granted, there there's some dudes hurt right now, so they can kind of you know wait and see. But 
Um, like where does Spencer Steer fit in now? Right. Where does Spencer Steer fit in? How are you balancing TJ Friedel and Jake Fraley and Will Benson all being left-handed outfielders? You know, what mm. are you doing? You know, is Jonathan India going to be a starter full-time? You know, what are you doing with Matt McClay? It, you know, some of these questions will be answered in the offseason and, and, and over time. Um, but I think especially, and, and this is, you know, depending, I think, especially on how long it takes or whether or not the Reds decide to bring um, to bring Christian Encarnacion Strand up. I mean, we've already seen them starting to clear the decks, but they got rid of Will Myers uh, yesterday after bringing him off the injured list. They optioned Stuart Fairchild down to the minors. They're kind of, you know, they're, they're, they seem to be setting their lineup, and I think that's a lineup that they can kind of just leave set. I think the one place you might look to say, not sure about this, and this, this depends too on, on how Votto performs, is Tyler Stevenson at catcher. Um, I liked it a lot more when Stevenson could play DH more often because he is not a particularly good catcher. But with Votto back and with Spencer Steer there, first base DH at-bats are not really open right now for Stevenson, particularly given that uh, Steer is also a right-hander. I don't know if it makes sense to have him in kind of a loose platoon with Votto, but you know, either way, maybe you're looking at some kind of catching help there. The backup catcher in Cincinnati is Kirk Casale at 35. A useful veteran, but I don't know if he's a guy you want to be playing all the time if you if you do want to value the catcher defense, particularly with young pitching. Uh, the other place I would target would be their bullpen. Obviously, Alexis Diaz, one of the best closers in baseball right now, but the rest of that group does not really give you much hope. Lucas Sims, Buck Farmer, Ian Jabot, uh I literally don't recognize... Alan, Alan Busenitz? That's a... I thought that was a... That's a lawyer name. Is that, is that not a lawyer? That's a lawyer. They have a lawyer in their bullpen. He might be um, doing both. You know, I, I think pitching ultimately is what Cincinnati needs to focus on, both in the rotation and the bullpen, if they want to make an actual playoff push. I know they have some uh, some useful arms down within their system who could maybe, you know, help out as needed. Uh, Levi Stout could be one of them. Ricky Karcher. Um, guys like Carson Spears down in double a, you know, I, I don't know that they want to rush Leon Richardson or Carson or Connor Phillips Phillips. Maybe he's had, he's had some very, he's been very good this season. I think might be a guy who has uh, maybe gets a look in the summer depend or later in the summer, depending what Cincinnati does going forward and how green and Lodolo and Ashcraft uh, recover from their injuries. But yeah, if, if I'm Nick crawl, I am, I am calling up the teams. I'm calling teams up and, and just asking, what do you want for your pitching? You know, what's interesting to you, um, I think that's how Cincinnati needs. I think that's what Cincinnati needs to do. Again, barring injury somewhere else. Yeah, and I think there are options. This is a good place to be if you're Cincinnati. You have like too many good players. Yeah, in there, your that's lineup. never. It's never a bad thing to have too many good players because then you can always, yeah. you know, you, you can always make it work with that. For sure. Um, John Derek Jeter mm. preparing uh, for broadcasting this weekend sure. uh, in the London series. The interview, he really just didn't say anything. I went through this whole Fox Sports interview. He's so good at it. He's a Hall of Famer just for that alone. The man can spin all kinds of words and say nothing. I respect it. I don't particularly understand (laughs) why Fox Sports is so dead set on making Derek Jeter happen. We have years and years and years of interviews of media appearances of commercials mm-hmm. of of him actually doing like being an actor that just prove over and over again that Derek Jeter has nothing interesting to say ever not only that but he has well, publicly. no 
publicly. Publicly, but this is but this is so funny. He's the coolest dude off. Yeah, I was gonna say if just if you hang out with Jeter and he's just like the most chill guy and he's just like, yo, let's do whippets. But (laughs) I think he is such a dull like vacuum when it comes to being on camera. He has no charisma. Mm. He has no. There, there's none of that, like, you know, crap on A-Rod all you want for his TV presence, and I will because I find him deeply irritating, but <laughs> A-Rod at least kind of understands you have to say something. Mm-hmm. You have to just put stuff out there. I think similarly, the guys who've done well in this role, uh, David Ortiz, Adam Wainwright, uh, Dontrell Willis, Curtis Granderson, they all know that you have in terms of the current former players who now do color. Yeah, I think Doug Glanville's my favorite. I think he's the best. Doug, Lan- Doug Glanville's good. David Cohn is very good. Cohn's good. Well, I guess that's the thing. You, you, you kind of have to go one of two ways. You can either kind of do what Coney and uh, does and kind of go on the harder analytics route and be, you know, be the kind of brainy, you know, I know a lot of stuff, here's what I'm going to tell you voice. Or you kind of have to be a more, like, uh, jovial kind of goofy persona. He, like, a, like Hunter Pence. He was great with uh, Hunter Grant Pence Brisby was great on, on his podcast. On the Apple TV broadcast. Yeah, uh, he's good. Hunter Pence is good. David Ortiz has been very good when he's been asked to do stuff. I mm-hmm. actually have liked A.J. Pierzynski quite a bit when he's mm. done color on broadcasts, you know. Uh, there are guys that doesn't work, but that's, I think, more because either it's guys like John Smoltz who come in there and they just want to use that their their job essentially as a, a soapbox to complain or just to, to rant about whatever it is they feel like, or it's guys like, you know, and I'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head, but um, I guess a good example is uh, Kevin Euclid on Nesson Broadcast. I don't know how many folks I have never your heard. I don't know if I so, want to hear Kevin Euclid on a Nesson Broadcast. So Nesson, with Dennis Eckersley no longer being the color guy there, or the main color guy, has been rotating through a series of usually former players. They've had uh, Tim Wakefield, Lou Merloni, couple other guys pop in euclid has done a fair amount of it i love kevin euclid um i love his his commitment to the scally cap to looking like a, a little newsboy all the time but he's not good at tv stuff because he's just not he doesn't have anything interesting to say hmm. and he doesn't really know how to jazz anything up and, and have he, he, there's he's not bringing any energy there i think similarly you know i don't know that jeff frank is actually a good color guy if he says anything actually like you know interesting or or, or... he's fine i think he's you know what i will say like the thing maybe this is what you get the best case scenario with jeets ortiz and a rod where there's like this mutual respect and comfortability Mm -hmm. where maybe a rod because he knows him so well privately and i think ortiz they know pretty well and that's something he spoke to in the the interview I wonder if they're able to bring some stuff out of him that no one else could because they're able to rib him or they're going to be able to peel the curtain back because when you watched i don't know if you knew that the braves had a game this year which was fantastic where it was like chipper glavin and a couple and frank and not even frank or who was the other dudes there were like four guys um why am i blanking on all of them they were all in the booth and called the game together frank or there's one more was it smaltzy might have been smaltzy are you talking about the braves when they had you saying glavin maddox frank core yeah i think it was they had the the three hall of famers yes core it was delightful and that's the thing like if like they gonna... all ribbed each other it was just different i think that's the and, way and to they... get it out of jeter maybe and i think that makes sense but i think if you were going to do that with jeter you have to have someone with him in the booth or on the desk who knows him well enough to be able to do that stuff someone who's i think what works about that glavin smoltz maddox trio you know regardless of frank or is they played together for like 15 years you know mm-hmm. th- those guys were fr- presumably you know if not friends they all at least knew each other and could at least just 
come from a place of, of, of familiarity. Whereas if you're just going to have Jeet sit there and be like, just talk about the game, Derek. It's You're, you're just going to get bland platitudes because that's all Derek Jeter really knows how to say. He's not someone who was an openly critical guy. He's not a funny guy. It's not like a Nick Swisher type who's going to be up there cracking jokes and, and, and laughing at everything. You're going to get a guy who's going to play it pretty straight. Mm. But, I, again, I, I don't really understand what the appeal is of that. Like, what 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 does Derek Jeter know? I, I guess that's the thing. Like, what has Derek Jeter demonstrated? Where, where and when has Derek Jeter demonstrated that sense of, like, I'm going to share something, you know, in very particular or you know that that's unique or or special or or something that nobody knows really you know maybe he does it i will say in my heart of hearts after watching that instagram video of him with his kids in the car that one time Mm -hmm. do you know what i'm talking about yes i do i'm convinced jeter is actually funny i'm convinced that jeter personal home dad jeter is actually a good hang i am convinced that he is so good at hiding it and everywhere else but I'm convinced that that man is a good hang. You can't tell me otherwise. And I think that's possible. I, I wouldn't bet against it, but I don't know that that's going to translate yeah. to the booth because, again, unless they set it up so it is a hangout experience, and that means having like a Derek Jeter, David Ortiz booth that is vibes first and yes. everything else second, I don't think you're going to get much of any interest out of Jeter because he's not a guy who tells stories. He's no. not a guy who is a critical, you know, he's not going to be out there, like, he's not going to be a Tony Romo type, if that can even exist in baseball, in terms of, like, oh, I can see what's coming, or I'm going to be really nuts and bolts about the the nuts and bolts, so to speak. Who would be the most Tony Romo baseball pitcher, right? Probably Max Scherzer. Yeah, well, you need a guy, I think, pitcher-wise, who's basically, like, here's what I would do in this moment. And I, you know, Jeter's not going to do that either. I don't think he's going to be out there being like, well, here's what I would do as a pitcher. I think the golden standard for a player, for a former player doing color, is a guy like Keith Hernandez, who Hmm. is both willing to be serious about that's a bad play, that's a good play, that's good hitting, that's bad hitting, but also just have fun with stuff and be a personality and joke around and just kind of poke fun at yourself and and work within that group. I don't know that that's Jeter. I don't know that mm. that's ever really been Jeter. And maybe guys who know him better, you know, would say differently, but there aren't that many guys who know him better. And what are we going to do? Like, are, is Fox also going to hire Jorge Posada just to sit there? <laughs> are they going to go find Gerald Williams just to hang out in the booth and just make jokes with Jeets? Like, I don't really know that anyone wants to hear that. Yeah, which I guess, I guess that takes me to the ultimate point of this. Who wanted to hear Derek Jeter's commentary? If it's is, good, is that I would really listen. is there an audience for that? I've never I've never sat and watched a game and thought to myself, you know what we're missing <laughs> right now is the insight of Hall of Famer and fraudulent Gold Glover Derek Jeter. Wow, that was the you Red know? Sox fan and you coming out there. He is a fraudulent. I'm not I'm not going to pretend otherwise. We're just not mm-hmm. going to do this. But do you want Nomar on a broadcast? Has he ever done it? I don't remember. Yeah, he's he's Nomar. done uh, he's done studio work for for Sportsnet LA for the Dodgers. Okay, I I, is I he okay. Don't, I don't know. I've never actually mm. heard him do any of that. I, I guess he was fine, but that's the thing. What's your best There's... Nomar Boston accent? No, well, it'd, be, it'd be amazing if he if he had the thick Boston accent. No, I'm saying you. If you had to do like when they're chanting, oh, dude, the Nomar, the Nomar Garcia Para, Nomar Garcia Para. That's a tough one. <laughs> Too many R's. Um, mm. That's the thing. There's there's no guarantee a Hall of Fame player is going to make for an interesting commenter. If anything, yeah. it seems like the best commenters are the guys who are very far from Hall of Fame Correct. caliber. Um, you know, I mean, great. They have less that, to lose. They don't care about their legacy. They don't care about like 
just a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, they're more than happy just to sit there and tell stories and and joke around because those guys are also like, if you don't make it in baseball because of your hitting or fielding or pitching prowess, then you're making it because you are genuinely a good, you know, you're the kind of guy other guys want to be around. You Mm -hmm. have a clubhouse vibe that works. And that's not, I mean, Jeets was the captain, but that's not, that's that was not his vibe. He was not the guy who kept a clubhouse loose and conversational. He was the captain. He was a leader. He was a serious type. Mm. And I just don't know that that's really going to, I mean, we'll see, but I, I don't see how that translates well to being a, a good color guy, or at least an interesting color guy. But we'll see. I mean, I, I mean, who cares? Ultimately, I listened to all those broadcasts on mute in the first place, so what does it matter to me? But... Mm-hmm. Go Jeets. Yeah, um, Jeets. Team Spotlight this week, John. Uh, mm-hmm. where, where's your glowing report of the Red Sox? How excited are you about the Red Sox win streak? Do you do you not want to allow the Red Sox to send Adam Duvall to the Cincinnati Reds in a trade package where I feel like he's been a Red like 14 times? He's like, he just alternates getting traded to the Reds and the Braves. I was going to say, he's uh, been either a Red or a Brave or a Red or a Brave or a yeah. Red or a Brave. Um, I, I'm not... Uh, what do you want to do here? Are you conflicted? Well, that's... Th- I don't know because... Look, this team is not good enough to make the playoffs. Like, Are we streak, sure about that? I mean, they are 11 and a half games out of first place in the division. And well, division's least, not happening. But division's not happening. Card. I mean, it's possible, but it, for me, it's not even so much that the other teams ahead of them are better. It's that there are a lot of teams just ahead of them. Mm. You have to not just be hot, but be hotter than like six other teams at the same time. That's tough to do. They have a better extended. playoff odd than the Cincinnati first place Cincinnati Reds right now. I mean, the Red Sox would be in first place in the AL Central by three games <laughs> mm-hmm. right now. And they have a third of the playoff odds the Twins do. I, I love yeah. the Central Divisions. This is a perpetual, I, obviously. Um, Who would you bet on the wheels falling off faster? Justin Turner or Andrew McCutcheon? Who stops being a productive MLB hitter first at what age? Whoever gets injured first. That's yeah. pretty much it. Those guys are such professional hitters, clearly. Like... Those dudes will just, and like, similarly, J.D. Martinez, they'll just rake until they die. Because yeah. they'll just manage to figure it out. <laughs> um, I think the thing with the, that keeps me from being as optimistic about the Red Sox is, and, and granted, the pitching has been much better the last week. Mm. The pitching is just not there in in some. You know, you're, you're counting on, the rotation right now is um, James Paxton, Garrett Whitlock, Brian Bayo, Cutter Crawford, uh rotating fifth starter because uh, they just don't really have one right now because of the injuries to Chris Sale and Tanner Houck and the demotions of uh, to the bullpen of Nick Pavetta and Corey Kluber and Corey Kluber now on the injured list and I would not be surprised if he just if that's the end of the road for Corey Kluber he's looked really bad both as a starter and a reliever this year you know I if the Red Sox were to go out and add a starter like an actual above league average starter I would feel better although I still don't know at that point just because you know the, the four teams in front of the division are really good. Even with me crapping on the Yankees for just not having an offense right now, those are four really good teams ahead of them. To say nothing of the Astros and potentially the Angels also being ahead of them in, in the postseason chase. You know, I mean, you, you asked me to rank uh, those teams in terms of how optimistic or likely they are, how optimistic I am or how likely they are to make the playoffs. I mean, I don't know that the Angels are a better bet than the Red Sox, but after that, I, I feel like the Red Sox are in kind of the same. There's not really they. They need to differentiate themselves somehow, and I think it has to be they need to go and add pitching because you're they don't you're counting right now. If you look at it, they're third in Major League Baseball in hits. I just think they, behind and, the Rangers well, this and the Blue Jays. Is, 
I, their offense is fine. I think the other yeah. thing they would need to focus on is getting a, a legitimate shortstop. Hmm. And whether or not that they're waiting for Trevor Story to come back and seeing if he can do it, or getting, um, what's the word, getting proactive and going out and finding someone, it, it's just not working right now. Kike Hernandez, God bless him for trying. He is an awful defensive shortstop. He cannot play the position anymore. Um you know, I, I, I don't know that you can roll forward that. I mean, because this team also defensively is just not very good mm. for the most part. You know, the outfield is okay, but the infield is kind of a mess. The catching is okay as well. You know, this is not a team that's going to win with pitching and defense. This is a team that's going to win because it outhits you. And I think that's certainly something that's feasible over the course of a season. And I think why you see the Red Sox are capable of going on these runs because they can just beat up on bad pitching or take advantage of a team that maybe has its pitching a little scrambled right now. But when push comes to shove and they're facing good pitching and they need to scratch out runs and manufacture them, I think it's going to be a lot harder, especially because they're going to have a harder time keeping runs off the board with their pitching and and defense. So I'm not optimistic that the Red Sox are a playoff team. I'm happy to see them playing this way. This way beats being a sub-500 team, that's for sure. But I I think a good Red Sox team is still at least another, like a, a contending, World Series contending team is at least another year or two away, depending what happens this offseason. I, uh, yeah, I just, I think the Red Sox are going to hang around. I think everyone in the AL East hangs around until the end of the year. I don't think anybody's I, I, be- I, I race. agree with that because there's, again, the only real, the only real competition that the four non-Rays AL East teams have in the wild card are the Astros, the Angels, and maybe the Guardians or the Twins, depending on who wins the Central. Maybe the Mariners. That's not... So realistically, that's the Astros. You know, yeah. you're you're not. I don't know if any of those teams are really worried about the Angels or the number two AL Central team. So, you know, that's. I, I think you know if you're in that group, you're feeling pretty good ultimately. But mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, who knows? Slash, we'll see. Guardians have 46 home runs still to this point. There, they're not a good offensive team. Uh, not the in particular. Bra- for comparison, the Braves are at 128 right now. Yeah, and I think it, Matt Olson has 112 of them. Um, the one he hit against the Phillies uh, either yesterday or the day before that went approximately <laughs> 900 feet and also mm-hmm. about three miles into the air. Very impressive. Yeah. Um, we'll end on the San Francisco Giants, John Taylor. They're on a big Yo. win streak right now. They win in a walk-off walk. Do you like those <laughs> orange-white uniforms they wore last night? Do you like them? The City Connects? or Yeah, do you like those? They're fine. I, yeah, I think most fine. City Connects are fine. I don't think there's been a truly bad City Connect uniform. Yeah. I think they're well, mostly fine, and then there's some genuinely good ones. Like, I like Miami's. I like... Um, who else has a, a good one? Um, this is killing Braves me. Braves are pretty good. Remember. I like that they're they're throwing it back to the 70s with that one. Mm-hmm. Although, my, so, my I, take I on the... I actually don't hate the Orioles. I actually like the Orioles. The Orioles one looks better in person. I, I saw someone the other day wearing an Orioles City Connect cap in person, and it looked way better than it did in a photo. Hmm. Um, yeah, but e- either way, like, boy, the, the NL West is, a, is an absolute mess right now. I mean, the Giants I guess that's are the ahead of the Dodgers now. They're ahead of, they, yeah, they're, they're, only, uh, they're only three games behind Arizona for first place. It's, it's really wild how good that division has suddenly become, and I think that's the thing. Like We were always kind of expecting a two-team race in that division between the Dodgers and the Padres. Then we get the Diamondbacks thrown in and go, okay, well, now it seems like there's a, the, the, you know we've talked already the Diamondbacks are legitimate. And now the Giants look pretty legitimate, too, and I don't know how long that's going to hold, but they've gotten 
some great hitting of late from, uh, in particular, some guys back to health like Jock Peterson. Uh, Luis Matos has been very good since being called up. Uh, losing Mitch Haniger hurts, but you know the, the pitching has been good too. Camilo Duvall has been one of the best closers in baseball. You know, I don't necessarily know that the Giants are a division-winning team, but again, you know, they're forty-one and thirty-two right now. Our projections have them winning eighty-eight games. Seventy percent chance of making the playoffs is pretty damn good. You're now looking at an NL West where the Padres are projected to finish fourth with 85 wins. And I think more than the question of are the Giants legitimate, because regardless of whether or not they're legitimate, they would have to go on a pretty bad losing streak at this point to fall out of this newfound playoff position they're in, is the Padres are really, really in some trouble right now, too, Mm. in that they, you know, they could not afford another team joining this NL West uh, race. You know, they already had enough ground to climb to, to crawl or to make up behind the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Now they're behind the, the Giants, too, and substantially so. They're three games under 500. Um, our playoff odds have are now below 50% for them, about the same odds as the Brewers do, or as the Brewers have, which should say plenty, about the same odds as the Phillies do. This is not, this is a really bad place for the Padres to be in particular, given that just, you know, nothing is really going right for them in terms of guys being healthy, guys producing. You know, they've, they've got issues in pretty much every department. Um, I mean, it, it good for the Giants, and I, I, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to see an NL postseason race that's actually between the Giants and the Marlins coming to life. You know, we actually now have some real NL contenders to make up for the fact that the Mets and the Padres are both just sucking eggs. So I guess that's the thing. It's like, you know, God closes the, the door on the Mets and Padres, but opens the window for the Giants and the Marlins. Um, definitely the two teams we wanted to see get involved in the playoff chase, but the Giants seem very legitimate to me. I mean, you know, are, are they as good as their winning streak is? No, I mean, no team ever is, but mm-hmm. you know, they, they look like a legitimate, uh, at least above 500 team. And that just increases the pressure all the more on everyone else in the NL West to, you know, continue to succeed. I think they're going to hang around. I think the Giants, uh, are going to hang around and they are an interesting buyer, team and what they could actually do they are uh fascinating yeah, and, I th- and i think that's the other side of it is you know we've talked already about the reds potentially being buyers the pirates potentially being buyers the giants being buyers you know i think you're going to see the diamondbacks as buyers i'm certain you're going to see the padres try to buy their way out of this mess the phillies the marlins the you know the braves obviously the mets i can't imagine are just going to sit back on their on i don't their know about heels. the mets. i mean i feel like they have to do something unless they come into the unless they come into the trade deadline like just completely out of the race they have to do something no i don't think steve cohen do. i don't think steve they cohen just sits add around david stearns this summer like just that, finally bring him in like what are we billy epler is like i don't know what the odds are on billy epler being back as gm next year but i'm gonna go ahead and whatever it is by now because yeah I don't no think, billy epler's not coming back he is GM, gone billy epler is gone absolutely neither he nor buck show walter i think unless yeah. the mets go have a have a tremendous second half i don't think either of them comes back for next year but how many They're, contenders like are looking at the Giants run here where like Michael Conforto is having a just an all time great like he's a great story this year. We should mention mm-hmm. uh, is just he's having a great year and he's healthy. He's 30 now. 107 WRC plus the powers back a little bit. 12 home runs like he's he's fun. But like the Giants have a roster literally set up for contenders who are looking to kind of buy 
this summer, and right? That's, well, that's like the other... there's so many guys that everyone's like, oh, damn yeah, it. I mean, the imagine... Giants are good. I wanted Discalfani. I wanted Alex Cobb. You wanted like a Jock Peterson. Yes. You were maybe going to kick the tires to see like, what do you guys want from Wilmer Flores? Yes. You know, if, you're, if you're looking for a right-handed infield bat. But I think that's the other side of this is with the Reds and the Giants and the Marlins, all three of them now kind of entering the postseason race, or at least the playoff picture, there are not a whole lot of distinct sellers around the majors. You know, yeah. I mean, every team in the AL East is above 500. The teams in the Central and West in both divisions that are out of it are not just out of it, but also don't really have anything to offer, you know? Yeah. The, the Royals, the A's, the Rockies. I mean, who knows what the Rockies ever want to do? Uh, you know, the, the Nationals. There's not a whole lot that, they, that those rosters have left to offer to any contender. So at that point, you're kind of just waiting to see, okay, like, are the Cardinals just going to throw the towel in? You know, how much more do the Padres and Mets have to fall out of the race before they decide to do something about it? You know, or what about, I think at this point, the team you're really looking at to see, they're, they're, I think there are two teams you're really looking at to see if, if, whether they decide, ah, screw it, we're done. The White Sox and the Mariners. The Mariners hmm. in particular, who are, uh, we have their playoff odds at 19.6%, lowest in the AL of any real, I think, of any uh, 500 or above team, with the exception of the Central. Mm. You know, they're in a tough position right now. They're behind three teams in the AL West. They're behind six or seven teams in the wild card. It's it's a rough spot for the for the Mariners right now. And I do wonder, you know, whether or not that's a team that just decides, hey, we tried. Not going to work. We're going to try to add some more long-term pieces going forward. But I think similarly with the White Sox, you know, they, they've, they've pushed themselves back, I think, into at least division contention, even though they're 11 games under 500, which, God bless the AL Central. But... You know, I don't think it would take much for Chicago to decide, ultimately, it's not our year, it's not going to happen, the, the the path is too narrow, you know, and then that, again, becomes a question of Lucas Lynn, or Lucas Lynn, uh, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Tim Anderson, you know, do any of those guys make sense to move from where we are right now? I think those are two teams that a lot of contenders are going to be looking at the next few weeks to see, are they going to, you know, which way are they going to end up kind of uh, moving? Are they going to try to buy themselves back into this race, or are they going to decide, you know what? It's too late for us. We don't have what it takes. We're going to be sellers and take advantage of the fact that there might be a bigger than normal buyer market. I agree. Uh, John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com this week, sir? So we will have, I think, uh, the most interesting thing in my mind is a piece on Luis Reyes from Dan Samborski projecting him outward to see what the odds are of Luis Reyes being able to uh, hit 400 or getting anywhere close to it. Uh, otherwise, we have yet another top prospect list coming out this week, or I believe either late this week or early next. The Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, one of the finest systems in the majors, has already churned out a lot of really good, uh, a lot of good players, notably Corbin Carroll, but also uh, some guys beyond that. So be sure to check that out. If you missed it, we put out a draft board rankings update last weekend. So if you were getting ready for the draft, which is coming in, what, two weeks at this point? Just, yeah. just about around. Um, go check that out. Eric Longenhagen threw a ton of work into that, as he always does. Uh, Did he do a mock? I don't be- We haven't done a mock, and I don't believe we're going to do a mock. Okay. But uh, our board ranking, our board draft rankings are essentially a mock in that Eric has everyone ranked um you know by how he would take them if he were in charge i don't i mean great it's not a mock in the sense he's not saying like oh if i were the who has the number one pick this year the that's a good question pirates 
Our nationals. Nationals? Some bad team that doesn't deserve who they're <laughs> Whoever, the whoever national, Dylan right? Cruz has to suffer with for the next six to seven years of his life. It might life. not be Dylan Cruz. It might be Paul Skeens, man. That dude is, after getting Paul Skeened again uh, this weekend, he is something else. Pirates have number one. Mm, okay. so Nationals are number two. Be it Dylan Cruz, be it Paul Skeens, be it Wyatt Langford, maybe the top high school player in the class, Max Clark, or maybe Walker Jenkins, your boy Chase Dollander. The he feels inc- like a Colorado Rockies pick at nine, unfortunately. The incredibly named Hurston Waldrip. <laughs> Love that name. That's a great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wake Forest ace Rhett Louder is in yeah. our top ten as well. Go check that out if you have it and if you're a draft Nick. Um, we will have some College World Series stuff also, I'm assuming, going forward uh, from our resident college sicko, Michael Bauman, who's actually at the Draft Combine right now. So check definitely check us out over the next couple weeks for draft stuff for prospect stuff obviously that all starts ramping up heading into the draft and through the college world series and obviously going into the trade deadline because prospects are what make the trade deadline do its thing so come over to Fangraphs, and while you're here sign up for a membership five dollars a month sixty dollars a year gets you ad free browsing plus other cool stuff Fangraphs, come here baseball and it's good there you go i love it John Taylor, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, hello. Welcome back to Chase Thomas Podcast. Wow, Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. Jason Shear is here, the authority on all things Arizona Wildcats, wildcatauthority.com himself. Jason, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um... I know this is going to be kind of weird. Like I, I'm 32 now, Jason. I've grown up with a lot of bad Arizona football. I've seen a lot. There's, there just haven't been a lot of trunk candidates out there in my lifetime. There aren't, there aren't a lot of those guys. And you go back through the history of Arizona football, and look, you have some legends like the Brewskis of the world. But by and large, it just, it's never been a premier top of the line uh, football. Uh, program baseball basketball electric year over year that's what they're known for but i think and please you know this more than myself you're more plugged in here it's funny because i'm when i was prepping for this and i've been thinking about the pac-12 and where things stand and uh what happened last year jetfish was like a hire that i was pretty pretty dubious of like i understood like get the nfl guy he's gonna get the nil stuff he's gonna get the ex nfl guys he's gonna it's gonna be a different kind of thing um entirely and i could maybe see how you do it and just take a shot like jetfish like why not just take a shot you're it's arizona football what do you have to lose and now i'm looking at it and i'm thinking about where the pac-12 is right now um where arizona is coming into this year and I'm pretty optimistic and I feel weird to be this optimistic that I think Jedfish might actually pull this off in terms of getting this to be a stable, pretty solid to good football program year over year. Is that where you're at right now? Or are you telling fans, let's hold on, let's give it a couple more years and see where he gets to this, to this point. No, I'm, I'm at the same place. Uh, I mean, I, I probably have the same reaction. You probably have the same reaction as most people, which is, I mean, Jetfish, like this mm. is the hire, like it, it kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. And, um, you know, and, and you're wondering how it's going to work because mm. he had never been um, a head coach. He had only been a, a coordinator for a certain amount of years. Usually he's some sort of assistant. But, um, you know, his approach at Arizona 
has been the right one, which is basically recruit your butt off. Mm. And that's the only way you're going to win here. And, you know, we talk about like, like it's, you know, I got to admit the, the standards were kind of low because Mm. Kevin Sumlin had destroyed the program basically that it's like, okay, if he comes in and um, if Jed comes in and does relatively well, you know, that's, it's going to take a while, but um, you know, we're, we're year three. And, and I think the expectation is that Arizona makes a bowl game, mm. which is wild to say, cause it, it only feels like a, it was only a few years ago where they were losing their last game of the season to ASU 70 to seven. And so, and, uh, and you know, it, it, the way that he's built the roster and, and the way that he's approached things, I, I think it's okay to be optimistic, which like you mentioned, it, it sounds weird regarding Arizona football, but um, it feels like the right move to to be optimistic and to think that this thing is turning around. Absolutely. I mean, I wondered for the longest where I was like, oh man, did Rich Rod and Arizona not know what they had in each other? Like they should have just stayed together for the long haul until Rich Rod wanted to retire. Just look, this is, uh, this is going to keep humming. You have an identity. This is cool. But like you said, what Jed Fish is actually turning heads for is, I mean, recruiting, hitting the portal, like even losing important guys in the portal and being able to rebound from that because I think that's just going to be a part of the deal uh, with USC and just the nature of college football in 2023 getting picked off a little bit year over year. But I just, I'm I'm pleasantly optimistic about where, where they're going. But speaking of new faces and what's going on there, um, the most important new face on this Arizona football roster is who for uh, for the fans? I, I, for me, you know, there, and there's a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball, but I think it, it's Justin Flo. And mm. uh, linebacker transfer from Oregon, when he was in high school, he was about as good of a linebacker prospect in the last decade. At mm. least. I mean, he was an absolute monster. Goes to Oregon, doesn't really catch on, gets hurt, um, just had struggles kind of kind of setting him back. Mm. Uh, you know, he's healthy now. He looked great in spring. And if he's any – we're close to the prospect he was in high school. He'll change Arizona's defense considerably because they did not have a guy like him at linebacker uh, last season. Jacob Monty was a freshman, and he's good, really solid player. But Flo is just a, a different kind of animal when you see his athleticism, size, and speed and all that. So if he stays healthy, um, I, I think he's the guy that you know Arizona fans are going to know pretty much right away. Offensively, who is it? Offensively, you know, Arizona didn't really add anyone new very mm-hmm. much, which is which is nice. I mean, they lost some guys. To me, um, I, I think that the national name is going to be Jonas Savanea. You know, mm-hmm. he's the guy to me where offensive lineman, um, they moved him from guard to tackle, and you would never know that he's never played tackle in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's that good. He's an NFL player. Um, I, I think he becomes more of a national name this year. To me, there's you know there's only a couple, if that, better linemen in the conference, and when it's all said and done, he's he's probably a first round draft pick. Left or right side? Uh, he'll be on the right side. Okay. Um, interesting. Did he grow? Like, what are his measurables? Why was he inside and then flipped outside later? So basically, what happened was they you know they there were some departures, mm. and and they basically said you know in, in the transfer portal they went after a couple guys. They didn't land him. They said, hey, do you, do you want to try tackle? He said, sure. And then, <laughs> like, right away, he was awesome. And so what it does mm. is it allows for some position flexibility. They have a, a freshman coming in named Raymond Polito, who's a mm. four-star 
guard. Maybe he catches on, um, but it allows some some flexibility with the offensive line. And he was just the best available, and and they were fine with moving him. I like it. Um, is who was the biggest loss from a season ago on this team? Who who is going to hurt the most in twenty twenty three? To me, I you know it, it's. Uh, it's tough to say, but, uh, you know, at the defensive side of the ball, uh, I think that anytime you you lose a guy like Christian Roland Wallace, who transferred Mm -hmm. to USC, and I like Arizona's cornerback depth, but I think they don't, they're missing that veteran guy now. The Mm -hmm. the position group is super young. Um, You know, they're they're starting a a freshman named Ephesians Prysock, great name. Uh, But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he played very little as a freshman, and now he's starting. They don't have that that veteran leadership, and, and while you know Roland Wallace was inconsistent, to me he's the guy that could have added some veteran leadership for the younger guys. And um, you know, losing him and, and losing him in conference, I think was probably, I, I would say, the worst look, the biggest loss. It's not one that they're you know decimated by, but it would have been nice to have him on the roster. Yeah, it's it giveth the the portal giveth and taketh where it's like it's weird and it kind of sucks. Like you you benefited like Justin Flo transferring in conference and he's healthy and could be a big time player, but then it's also you lose a guy in conference to a rival and it seems like that's something you don't want to see every year if you're an Arizona fan where it's like, are we really going to lose one of our most important players to USC just once a year? Like, is that just going to be the thing? Um, how do you even stop that if you're Jed Fish in Arizona? Is there a way to curb it? I, I honestly don't think there is because mm. if you're Arizona, you know, they Arizona has a really nice NIL program, especially mm. for a school like Arizona. Jed Fish has done a great job. But at the end of the day, if USC wants to pay more than Arizona, they're going to be able to pay more than Arizona. And, mm. and so if, if that's what it comes down to, um, there's only so much Arizona can do. Now, to their credit, they've also kept guys. I mean, yeah. uh, Laura McMillan is one of the best wide receivers in the country they were able to keep up, um, you know, and, and so Jordan Morgan is a future first round, second round NFL draft pick on the offensive line. They were able to keep them. And so I, I think Arizona has the right approach and, and basically, yeah, you know, we lost Roland Wallace to you. I mean, they lost Roland Wallace, Keon bars and Dorian singer, all to USC. Yeah. And so, but they went out and they replaced these guys. They land a guy like Justin Flo. They land a guy like, you know, Daniel Humuli from Washington. They, you know, they, they just landed, you know, Bill Norton from Georgia. So they, they land guys in the portal and you know, that that's the biggest thing. It's not necessarily keeping all these guys. It's kind of how, how do I replace them once they leave? Is Jaden Delora the most underrated in the PAC 12 super elite quarterback rankings? Where does he fall? Cause I mean, when you look at just where the PAC 12 is the whole and the QB front, I mean, it's, kind of unbelievable how every saturday like if the good folks all across the country right now are not staying up late to watch pac 12 football this fall like I, I don't know what you're doing because you're going to get elite quarterback play all across the board when like dj uangale might be one of the worst quarterbacks in the conference something is going really right for for your conference and he had a really good year last year and obviously another pac 12 in, uh, in conference transfer but is it him? Is he still going to be the guy for the full year? Like, where does he also, based on what you've seen, where does he fall in the hierarchy of Pac-12 elite quarterbacks? Yeah, like, I want to say he's underrated because I've mm. seen the preseason publications and I think he's low, but I also get it because, like you mentioned, the conference is loaded at quarterback. Yeah. And so it's, 
you know, there, the, you know, I, I think he's kind of in the middle um, with, with the ability to move up a little bit. I, I definitely don't think he's towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I, 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 he's pretty entrenched as a starter. There's, there's room for him to improve. He's got to be able to cut down on the turnovers where, you know, he had multiple where he's running around for 30 seconds and then he just throws the ball downfield um, mm-hmm. and it's off or something like that. And, and he, you know, that to his credit, that's something that he's focused on. Jed Fish has brought it up a lot. Uh, he looked really good in the spring. But, you know, it, it, it's a situation where uh, I like him. I, I think he's legitimately good. But a lot of it's also the system. You know, mm. I, I think Jed Fish's system is is really good for quarterbacks. Like, I don't know how well Jaden Delora would do on another team in the Pac-12. I, I think that he's, you know, he, he's found a nice fit with the system and all that. And um, it, it's, it's tough ranking these quarterbacks. I, I mean, you know, like you mentioned, uh, DJ, like he, he wasn't great at Clemson, but for all we know, in the Pac-12, he goes to Oregon State and he's awesome. Yeah. And, and the fact that we don't know that right now, we'd probably have him a little bit lower is is kind of crazy to say. Yeah, I mean, UCLA might start true freshman Dante Moore. It might be the Kent State kid, Colin Schley or whatever. Um, but like Stanford, they always have the surprising random okay quarterback. Like we'll see if, uh, I mean, it's going to be a very different situation with Taylor uh, running things, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you're going to have elite quarterback play all across the board, and I don't know where he falls, but it's somewhere in the, somewhere in the middle. I think when you put him in the lower end, I, I think you're you're not watching enough Arizona football. And I, I like their uh, Jacob Cowling, like you talked about McMillan. Like you, there's just a lot of lot of weapons with this Arizona offense that um, I think a bowl game at the is actually kind of the low end of what they could be. Um, what was the biggest hire? that fish jed fish has nailed to this point and what was the biggest what has been the biggest question mark higher for him to this point uh you know the, the higher that i like was the most surprising one and hmm. that is scotty graham at running backs coach hmm. he had never coached before he was an admin at asu and hmm. he when when jed fish hired him there were a lot of questions because hmm. it's a running back you know you're putting together a great staff and all that but scotty he's never coached before um, Scotty Graham is a great dude, great recruiter, and great coach. I mean, he has been an absolute home run. The running back group is is really strong. They all love him. Um, he knows what he's doing. And and to me, that that was a home run and, and a hire that a lot of people – I mean, I, I was caught off guard by it. Other people were caught off guard because he just hadn't coached before. Mm-hmm. And when you, you talk to him, I mean, it, it's no wonder why the, the players love him. He has NFL experience. and. Mm-hmm. The guy never fumbled in his life. <laughs> so when he, when a player fumbles, it's you, you look to the sideline automatically like, all right, what's Scotty going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest question for a hire right now um, I- I- until it's successful is, is defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and, and I like Johnny Nansen, but the thing was, you know, Jed Fish hired Don Brown mm-hmm. and he was here, here before he went to UMass. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's, should he have hired Don Brown in the first place if he knew that Don Brown was going to leave for a head coaching job because the defense needed to be rebuilt completely and and they weren't great and then he hires Johnny Nansen and the defense was awful yeah. last year and, and so I, I think the defense will be better this season but there's no doubt that when you're looking at the coaching staff Johnny Nansen is the guy with the biggest question mark above his name yeah because he comes from UCLA and he's been all over the West Coast but yeah, that just feels like, I don't know. I 
like you mentioned with Don Brown, like that was just such a weird thing to accept anyway. Like you mess, that's a tough job, man. And he's not a young guy. That's not a young man. That's not an older coach's job. I don't think like that's a long-term rebuild. That's like, Hey, I, I don't know, man. I, it's kind of, I guess you want to run your own program and hope for the best, but like Arizona felt like the perfect kind of retirement. Like he did the Michigan stuff, cold weather, getting away from that. I'm going to Arizona for my last uh, five to 10 coaching years, whatever it is as the DC um, here for the cats. I, I don't think I can fault Jedfish for bringing that on, uh, bringing Don on. And I mean, I'm sure he, he was probably uh, perplexed by the, the acceptance to UMass, but I don't know. Do you think he makes it through? Do you, is there enough talent on this defense that makes you believe that Nansen is the DC at this time next year? Or do you think they end up having to make a change because the defense is still awful back to back? You know, I, I think the defense will be better. And, and Jed Fish seems to be patient. I don't think anyone's expected the defense to be really good. All mm. of a sudden. But if it can be average, you know, I, and, and I, I know that sounds crazy, but that's, that's probably the goal. Like to be mm. average. Arizona had, an average defense last season, it, it's in a bowl game. If they have an average defense this season, it's probably in a bowl game. If mm-hmm. Arizona's defense is bad, Nansen's gone. There's there's just no way you can keep him. Um, you know, you you've given him what he's wanted in terms of talent, transfer portal. He's had a big say in the players coming in. This defense personnel wise looks more like what he wants than it did last season. And so you give him that chance and you see how he does. I I think he can make it through, but you know, it's kind of the, the general belief is I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And, you know, that that's fair with him. Um, I like it. You mentioned NIL, and I was always curious. With uh, Like, I'm familiar with, obviously, being here in UT uh, with Spire and company and just how things work here. But, like, in the Arizona front, you mentioned that they're, they have a strong NIL program. Like, where do they rank among the Pac-12 uh, in terms of their NIL for football? Just is because I think a lot, I'm sure – nationally and college football fans or just college sports fans think Arizona and it's like yeah we could see good time in IL like Tommy Lloyd obviously doing a fantastic job that was a big hire um killing in the portal and then just recruiting as a whole and then baseball um bringing in uh was it not Chip Hale was it Chip Hale Chip Hale right yeah okay I was saying that and I was like that doesn't sound right in my head okay yeah Chip Hale and I uh, don't like that uh, they beat Tennessee to start this actual year that was a bad omen early on um all that being said you just think that's just kind of where the NIL money would go, or maybe that's the priority. Where does football fall in among the big three? And then where does the football NIL program rank compared to the rest of the big t- or the Pac-12 right now? Yeah, I, I think Jetfish has done a, a really good job. He is super aggressive at raising mm. money. He's by far the most aggressive coach, you know, on campus. Tommy Lloyd. Mm puts in work towards raising money and all that, but Jed will hold events just for that. He'll call boosters. He, he, you know, he will absolutely make phone calls on his own and (laughs) they've done, he's done a really nice job. It's still Hmm. not good enough. And that's kind of what he, he always says. And, um, you know, I know recently he had a big alumni thing in Los Angeles where he basically said it's, it's just not good enough right now because other schools are like USC and Oregon. Those schools are getting bigger and bigger with, with their NIL. And, Hmm. and, so it's basically um, Arizona kind of has to now you're you're not going to pass those schools, but you're kind of trying to stay close to them. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's probably the middle of the conference. Um, you know, I, I think if Arizona needs to make certain payments or, or raise enough money for certain players, it can. But you're not going to see a situation. You know, I know guys in the portal that have basically Arizona's reached out to them and they've dropped them within seconds because they find out how much the kid wants and 
There's hmm. just way. And, and so they, they've done a pretty good job getting kids and there's other ways that um, they get kids on campus. But, um, you know, I would say probably middle of the line in the Pac-12. Interesting. Um, are they ahead of Arizona State right now? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I would say they're ahead of Arizona State. They're ahead of like the Oregon State and Washington State. Mm-hmm. It's, it's UCLA, USC's, and Oregon's. So they're probably not going to pass. They're very organized on the football end. And mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a couple groups that do it. They're organized. Jet Fish does a nice job. ASU um, was kind of or- disorganized at first. Now they've got them organized. And Kenny Dillingham is, is going to raise money there. So I'm sure that that gap will narrow at, at between ASU and Arizona. Um, but right now, I think Arizona's in a, in a better situation NIL was. What is Jed, do you think, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever asked him about this, but like, do, is this a destination job for him? Do you think he's here for the long haul? Do you think he's invested if like Chip took an NFL job or something and UCLA opened up? Or, I mean, what does he strike? Like we're entering year three. He's getting this program off the ground. Does he strike you as someone who will stick around uh, for the long haul? to this point uh in a nice way not at all (laughs) (laughs) and and that's not a knock on jed but like if you look at his career a lot of times when he's successful he'll go on to another spot and Mm. it's smart i mean when you know a lot of guys stay at at spots too long but like i can tell you right now and and i and i don't think this is a secret if if chip leaves ucla and they call jed fish and they offer him the job there's no conversation jed's Mm. going back to la i mean it's just that's where his roots are. His wife loves it. Um, you know, I think there's a legit chance if Arizona goes to a bowl this year and, and he gets an offer from a bigger school that that he's gone. Now, mm. that's not a knock on Arizona, but it, it's just uh, I, I don't see him as a guy that's going to be coaching at Arizona for, for 10 years. I, I could be wrong, but, you know, it, it's just a situation where Arizona can also only pay so much. You know, they've given Jed everything he wants in terms of, facilities admin staff and all that but again it's similar to nil if you know ucla comes and offers jet fish five million a year arizona's not doing that it's just not happening who's the dream arizona hire for fans if he leaves like who's the one that they've always just kind of been like this is the one we want if it's not jet fish you know i i don't know it's mm. a good question i think people just want you know, you always have a group that want alumni, but there's no real real alumni out there. I think people just want a guy that they could count on to win some football games and, and love Tucson. You know, like like mm. you mentioned Tommy Lloyd with basketball. He has embraced Tucson. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the key here is that you, you know, Kevin Sumlin didn't win, but he also wasn't seen out in the community. He didn't mm. embrace the city. And, and when he made that decision, he was done before he even coached a game in, in this town. You have to be vocal you have to be visible jetfish has done a great job with that so whoever would replace him if that happens needs to do the same needs to be visible in the town and yeah you need to win some games but you get a longer leash here when you're visible in the city i like it um final question here i don't know if you're gonna be able to answer this one i'm putting you on the spot is arizona in the pac-12 or the big 12 this time next year jason oh man (laughs) (laughs) i you know my gut tells me the pac-12 i okay I, I think that there's a way um, – I don't know if it'll be a good deal, but I think there's a way they, they find a, a path to keeping the conference together. I mean, I'll be honest. It could change tomorrow. You know, I, I, I said – I know I said Big 12 before. It, it feels like it's a fluid situation, but um, we're at a point – I don't know where the deal's coming from or any of that, mm-hmm. but I just 
at the end of the day, do you think it's all streaming or no? Huh? Do you think it's going to be all streaming? Do you think Apple comes? I I think it's going to be heavy streaming. I I would be Mm -hmm. surprised if it's like ESPN and that's it. I I think it's going to be heavy streaming. And then from there, you'll kind of see a breakaway with games. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, do you, do you see SMU and San Diego state ultimately filling that void and they just piece it together and see what it looks like three to five years and then revisit I, SMU. I'm a little bit questionable on, I'm not sure mm. they're guaranteed to get added. San Diego state is a lock. I, I think mm. once they get a deal of, if they get a deal, it'll be San Diego state rather quickly. Um, I don't think it's going to be super long. I, I think what basically where we're headed is I think the big 10 contract ends in 2030. Hmm. It, college football is going to heck in 2030. Like you're going to see a bunch of realignment. No one's going to mm-hmm. sign a contract longer than that. And you're going to see a, a complete, I, I don't want to say breakup of college football, but you're going to see divisions and things like that. I, I think it's going to change dramatically in about five years. It's funny because like my prediction is that I think college football, it's like the, the, the tech bros who just reinvent things that already existed, like with cable, like we're just... We're making cable far more complicated than it used to be with we're just now getting to the point where it's like it's it's cheaper to stream and it's like well and now it's just the exact same and it's just more complicated to do the thing that i wanted to do anyway what it feels like it's going to happen when the acc is able to get out of their grant of rights and the pac-12 will see what happens there i think what's going to end up happening is you're going to have like 64 68 teams all in this power one <laughs> super like maybe power two super conference like the nfl but then I think they're going to break it up like the Pac-12 division, the Big 12 division. And they're just going to have like basically the conferences that we grew up with in those two conferences, the ones that survive. Like, I don't know if Washington State and Oregon State make that jump, but I think that's where we end up. It's like we reinvented the same conferences that we have because like there's just no path to UCLA and USC being the only West Coast team in the Big Ten and then having to do that schedule and that travel year over year by themselves. Like, that's not sustainable. They're not doing that. They all know that when they jumped in the boat, like, this was not going to be the final two West Coast teams. I was surprised that Cal and Stanford weren't required. They just felt like an obvious Big Ten and not to beat up on Cal and Stanford, but with that kind of schedule, you want to have some games on the West Coast that you feel good about uh, on your schedule. I don't know. I just do you do you get the same sense where like I just think ultimately we're just going to reinvent like we're going to have the ACC conference in the SEC or ACC division in the SEC and then the SEC division in the SEC and we have all of them and everything else breaks away. Uh, that's that's what I see it. Yeah, I mean that wouldn't surprise me at all. And it's like people talk about like the death of the Pac-12. The, the Pac-12 is not going anywhere. It's just going to look super yeah. different. Mm-hmm. And and that's and, and even the ACC when these schools get out, they'll, they'll find a way to add other schools. Yeah. So it, it's just going to look super different. And I, I, I do think that that's where we're headed, the, the big divisions. And it still looks similar because you're still going regional and all mm-hmm. that. You're still playing the same teams that you pretty much always played yep. or, or, or similar to that. And then it, it'll look different. But at the end, you know, to its core, it'll it'll be pretty similar to what it was before. Yeah. And I think the only thing that you'll miss is because with you have all these TV execs running these conferences, the buying games are gone like that those there you just can't sell them anymore like we cannot put these on tv we can't do three nobody cares about oregon games like we can't burn these these games on this like we can't supplement those schools and it sucks because it helps those programs and everything else but that's the that's going to be a a rough loss i think for college football and the just the haves and the have-nots but i also just feel like that's that's where things are headed is you're not going to have them and you're just going to have 12 good to great games week over week because they're like 
the NFL doesn't do that. We don't just do week one, the New York Giants versus like the German or like some XFL team. Like we're not doing that. Like why would we burn uh, multiple weeks of uh, content on our broadcast for that? Like I just that I don't see a bunch of TV executives who run these conferences agreeing to that anymore. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and I and I would be pretty nervous if I was a smaller school athletic yeah. department. I mean, it, it's you, you need football financially to survive. And we're at a point, like you mentioned, like what's what's the point of Alabama for some random school mm-hmm. where they're going to win 70 to nothing when you could, you know, you have college football looking completely different and you're going big game after big game after big game. Those schools that rely on the $500,000 check to go and get their butt kicked to keep their athletic department alive, those schools are, are the ones that are going to suffer. And yeah. it's, I think we're going to see a lot more athletic departments shut down here or at least football programs and all that in the next five years or so. Yeah. I mean, I think you go from Alabama versus Citadel to Alabama versus Oregon State, where they're like, or whoever, some the, like insert pectal, like better matchups, I think, for the fans all across the board. But yeah, it's uh, crazy, crazy times in college football. But I could talk about realignment and all this uh, all day with you, Jason. But I appreciate uh, you taking the time. What can the good folks check out from you over at wildcatauthority.com this week? Yeah, so we're, we're heavy into basketball. We're into football recruiting right now. Um, Judd Fish has gotten 10 football commits this week, so it's been wild. Uh, but wildcatauthority.com, at Jason Shear on Twitter are the, uh, the two places to, to check out our content. There you go. Yeah, isn't it weird? Like in college football now, like recruiting's basically done in August. Like this is the early signing period. It's just you have to be locked in uh, over the next couple of weeks because your whole class might be just about done um, before the senior season for a lot of these kids even starts. It's it's a wild, different time. Jason, thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it, and we'll have to check back in again soon. Thanks for having me. I- Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.